Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Transform TV podcast series. Today, I'm joined by Deborah Dull, and we're going to be speaking about a number of things around the circular supply chain and a lot of questions that no doubt you all have with regards to the practical implications of this. But, you know, Deborah, I was reading your profile and there's so many amazing things that you've done. I, I, I mean, I don't we could spend the next 20 minutes talking about all the amazing things that you've done. But why don't you give our audience a brief uh, explanation and think of your journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. This is a, a great forum to be able to share some of the perspectives that I've been forming. Uh, the shortest way to introduce myself is I just love supply chain. I think inventory is the best topic in the planet. Uh, and that has really formed uh, the career I've had after university. I studied supply chain. I didn't mean to. I tripped and fell into it. I was actually a marketing major because I really wanted to get out of the United States and I didn't know that supply chain existed, but when I found it, I switched over. And since then I've really used supply chain to explore different parts of the world. So the first uh, six years of my career, I spent with Microsoft and they made me into a really tremendous supply chain professional, had the chance to do lots of different roles with them. And yes, I managed to move overseas uh, and spent a couple of years in London, which was really fun. After that, I actually uh, completely shifted industries and started to explore how supply chain can help in the land of international development and uh, public health. I worked at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, was based in Africa for most of that time, and started to push on many of the assumptions I had formed about supply chains and the truths that I thought existed in supply chain, which do not exist in all supply chains that I learned. And it was really a tremendous few years. Uh, and now I have a couple of different uh, ways I spend my time. My day job, I am in the industrial space. I'm in a digital arm of General Electric and really learning about these supply chains that take most of our resources, produce most of our waste and really keep society running. You'll flip a light switch on or turn a faucet on and you expect something to happen. And there's a whole supply chain behind that that just doesn't get as much attention because it's not quite as sexy as a Microsoft or Google or Amazon or Apple. Uh, in my spare time, I spend uh, lots of time gathering folks together to explore the relationship between the circular economy and supply chain. I find the intersection to be just fascinating. And uh, supply chain professionals aren't really around these conversations on the circular economy and the circularity community. And so we need to bring a folding chair and invite ourselves to the party. And we'll explore that uh, to, together today, I'm sure. Why do you think that supply chain people are not around for that conversation? Let's start there. Good question. I have not necessarily explored the why. I have uh, explored the, hey, have you gone and talked to? And then I try to convert people to at least go call your supply chain. I wrote a piece for Picera Global that was um, republished at GreenBiz that's basically a plea to the circularity community to please go call your supply chain. We're really nice and we can help you solve this problem. Uh, I've gone to a couple of uh, Ellen MacArthur events uh, before COVID and, and we're able to meet with folks in, in person. And most folks who are there, we've got material scientists, we've got designers, and we've got uh, the sustainability group. Uh, more and more now they're starting to hire heads of circular economy. And so they're starting to be there. And I'd ask, what is, you know, what's the perspective of your, your supply chain about all this? And they would kind of look at me and go, supply chain? Why would I ask them? <laughs> so this disconnect between the idea of business models of the circular economy of wanting to do um, product as a service or uh, you know rentals or refurbishments but somehow there's not this recognition that that is in fact operationalized at some point point. and so currently I'm going through and 
bursting a few bubbles around some of the business models that are still supported with linear operations and today's uh, use of primary or virgin raw materials from the planet when we really need to start thinking about shortening up our supply chains, putting less emissions out in the world and so that we can really all get going on this decarbonization work that we know is out ahead of us. Do you think that uh, perhaps the there's an issue with the definition of the circular economy that maybe uh, people think that circularity means sustainability or you know corporate social responsibility? Do you think that that's a, a first part where we could tackle um, or supply chain leaders should tackle? Yes, absolutely. I think in some markets outside of America, uh, it's not as big of a challenge perhaps to have circularity and sustainability together. Uh, for us, though, in the States, it uh, causes a lot of folks to get turned off because they hear CSR, it's going to take me a lot of money, and I don't have any budget for that, we're budget constrained. And we haven't done a, a proper job of showing that circularity can be a, a strategy. It's not a goal, it's a strategy to achieving the goals that we want to achieve anyway. And so from a supply chain perspective, we're running out of ways to go faster and be cheaper uh, but this offers us a way, <clears throat> if we don't start from scratch every time, we can certainly go faster and be cheaper. Um, but we're not framing it like that. And so I think mm. this idea that, you know, they're related, there's certainly some overlap between the principles of circularity and what it means for an economy, but it's an economic model. It's not meant to be, you know, an all-encompassing sustainability umbrella, which, um, you know, there's almost like a Venn diagram of where they come together, but they're not perfect matches. And so uh, something we're actually doing at the Circular Supply Chain Network now, which is run by a group of volunteers, and we've got a couple thousand members around the world, is we've realized recently we've not written down a definition of the circular supply chain. It's embarrassing. And uh, <laughs> so we're actually doing that right now, and we're going to produce an explainer video and uh, a children's book, actually. So we just talked about who the protagonist will be, some sort of material who gets lots of lives through a supply chain. And so these types of um, breaking these concepts into very simple ways to talk about it and not wordsmithing, just having the concepts be um, available for people. Uh, and so I, I think it's up to all of us to, to put our heads together and imagine how can we do a better job explaining it and separating it out. Uh, it is a good tool for sustainability goals. It is a good tool for decarbonization, um, but it's also a tremendous way to add more money uh, and to decouple the growth of your company from the variable costs uh, that go into it, which is, of course, the nirvana state for supply chain, if we can decouple and reduce that uh, variable cost that we are contributing to, and we can be a profit center, which is really amazing, or at least a revenue center uh, in the shorter term to be able to start getting some payments for the items that we're paying to dispose of today, we can actually go and find buyers for those. Uh, and it's a, it's a market that exists. If you're in supply chain, of course, you know that this happens already. Uh, in America alone, uh, industrial waste is a $57 billion a year industry, uh, but that will grow very rapidly in the years to come. And so there's a lot of it that we were already doing. So a lot of this is just expanding um, the concepts that we know already. So, so do you think that there's some sort of cynicism in, in some to some degree in the industry or maybe in all industry that, like you say, uh, uh oh, sustainability or, or corporate social responsibility is going to cost me more money. I'd rather not do it. We're busy uh, without necessarily looking. I mean, you just you just said something that, that piqued my attention right away, which is you could be a, rev a profit center or even a revenue center. You could add value to your business. So you think the biggest problem is that maybe supply chain leaders need to stop for a second and think, hold on a second, this isn't going to be a cost center. And maybe there's some work to be done around explaining what the benefits are of the circular economy. 
Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> the easiest way to think about this is um, lean, take lean management. You know, the first principle of circularity is to use less. And we might roll our eyes and say, gosh, we do this every year. We take out 15% all the time. Uh, so think about this as an extension. So we've done all this continuous improvement for years and years and years, and it's like towards what? And this actually gives us a why. It helps us to anchor some of what we've been doing. So if we think lean is about finding and eliminating waste, do that first then circularity is about finding and monetizing that waste. And there is nothing that you should be paying for that's coming out the back door of your operations. Uh, there are more customers out there because in a circular economy, everything has value. It's just not in its highest economic state at that time. So it's a little bit of a game of how much more can this material be adding to the economy? How many times can we sell the same item over and over to add more money into our supply chains, et cetera? And so I think this becomes uh, a major driving force. One way I start to describe this is um, if we remind ourselves of the experience that we all find ourselves in around the holiday period every year, and maybe your sales team comes to you and says, good news, we've sold 500,000 units. And then you look and you have 400,000 units available to be sold and you get caught. And now we go do firefighting. This is the similar to what was going to happen to us in the next five to 10 years in supply chain. Uh, whether we call it circular economy or not, the truth remains that we are running out of materials. It's just fact. Uh, and there's going to come a point where we say, wow, we don't have enough inputs to run our processes anymore. And it, we really shouldn't be surprised by that. We have a couple of years uh, to actually get ahead well, of it. A couple of years, hello, semiconductors. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes. You know, I mean, it's a the impact huge that, problem. Well, it's a pretty, that's what I mean. I mean, this isn't something that it's in the future. And I think when people hear these buzzwords and terms, they're sort of thinking, oh, I've got time, it's down the line. But we're seeing this today. We're seeing this yes. today. The knock on effects to the semiconductor shortage are being felt across multiple industries, not just in semiconductors. So, is yes. this an example of what's happening? Definitely, and we can take the last year of COVID. If you experienced any out of out of stock as a consumer, or if your um, supply chain was disrupted positively or negatively any time in the last year, it's a taste of what's to come because we have these very, very long supply chains and every node we have, we know adds uh, an element of risk. And I think actually we have a small moment in time to make risk something we actually make decisions based off of where mm. before I feel like risk management was kind of done, but not really embraced. And now we have a small window. I don't think that this will last forever where we can not have cost be the only driving factor on this risk management approach to material availability. Um, and very much seeing it right now is semiconductors. And we're in really quite a tight spot. If you look at the, how many months it takes to culminate in the production, uh, this is a great example of very long supply chains that have to you know, start from scratch every time. And sure enough, it's going to take forever to try to recover from some of the demand changes we see. Well, you worked for the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for some time, and you look at Bill Gates warning everybody about pandemics uh, uh, coming down the line. Here we are, where, you know, there are people warning about the uh, different climate risks, the, uh, the fact that raw materials are running out. This is a reality. And I think a lot of these supply chains, like you say, they've got a long supply chain. It's not going to be very easy for them to, to switch it up. So is the challenge that if you don't do something about it now, you will be caught out? Definitely. I think, you know, there's, there is part of me, to be honest, that wonders if the 
progression in material science will essentially kick the can down the road a bit. Um, one of my fears is actually that our commodities markets will soon be seeded with secondary materials and no one's going to know and um, we'll still end up with these very, very long supply chains that are that are contributing to emissions and just really tough to manage. Uh, so I, I don't know, it'll be an interesting race to see will the material scientists go faster than the supply chains. Um, so and, and we'll, we'll kind of see how it comes in the years to come. Uh, I will say that you're absolutely right. It may be as short as three and a half years from now. The, the team at McKinsey sees this as a 2025 uh, imperative, which I don't know about you all, but I've never even seen an ERP upgrade get pulled off in three years. And so hmm. we're thinking about processes we don't have, measurements we've not defined, systems that aren't built yet, and we think we're going to transition. So it's actually well, and, and, kind and of a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the, I mean, we, we are, everybody who knows who watches this podcast knows that we've been going on talking about why digital transformation projects fail. And by scale and comparison, changing your entire supply chain model or business operating model, it's a bit bigger. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit bigger. Uh, okay, so let me ask you a probably a tough question. What are the downsides of doing this? You know, are there, oh, are there downsides? There are all those downsides. Uh, I think, you know, the land of first mover disadvantage is what we're talking about a lot right now. And I think it's just this chicken and egg that we see around the community that <clears throat> some supply chains are wealthy and they are investing in material science uh, themselves. Uh, somebody like uh, Henkel Home Goods in, in Europe, they actually hired their own material scientists to try to sort out uh, the secondary plastics market in Europe was doing okay. Uh, someone like a Nestle came and bought out all the capacity because they're going to put post-consumer plastic in their in their bottles from now on. And so then we have a series of market failures. And in supply chain, we, you know, our sourcing folks know a lot about markets. The rest of us don't always keep up to, to terms on which markets are healthy and which aren't. Um, but this is going to disrupt us. Uh, and so how we, how we find a path uh, to find some benefits is there. Now, cost is going to be a tough one for the next couple of years, I think, because these market failures are preventing us. Uh, the number one reason I hear from chief supply chain officers around the world is that they just can't have access to enough supply. What that means, mm. of course, is that we aren't caring enough about seeding these secondary material markets with the right amounts of uh, material in the right places. And so we have to start considering our supply chains in a different way. Traditionally, we sort of race down the racetrack towards the point of sale and we walk away. And our, our colleagues in returns, uh, it's kind of this like miniature tiny loop, but you know, they work outside of the system because our systems aren't set up for anything to go except in a line. Uh, and in a circular world, you know, point of sale is the start. And actually we're gonna be refurbishing a lot more in the future than we're gonna be building new. Uh, and all of this is going to be shifting. And so these next couple of years, you know, it is going to be a little bit tough. It's going to take, I think, some of the bigger players or industry coalitions coming together to start correcting some of these market failures we see. Um, but we're kind of have to do something because there's just not a and, lot of material. Well, there, there's, <laughs> but, you know, there are some people doing some things now, aren't there? There's some good examples of some, some people building this circularity into their, into their business model. Can you give us maybe one or two examples? Definitely. Uh, one really fun example is from the team over at Unilever. They've just uh, announced something called the Nano Factory, uh, the land of these huge, massive factories that put all your annual volume through it. Uh, those days are numbered. And instead, think about decentralized 
production as close to the point of use as possible. And that's what they're showcasing. It's a living, real factory now. And you can imagine plopping it into a local market, producing what's needed for that market for, let's say, a week, moving it on to another market. So we're starting to see some um, advanced uh, innovations like this. We're seeing um, potentially less sexy, but much, much more important of refurbishment happening and the attempt to have refurb happen, perhaps even on the same line as building new. A few supply chains are able to do this today. The transition to refurbishment remanufacturing will be quite dramatic in the next 10 years. Uh, and again, it's not as sexy because we think Ugh, repair, we've been doing that. But in the land of a circular supply chain, we want to have smaller circles and the circles re refer to the butterfly diagram, go give it a Google. And we want it to be as small of a circle as possible, which means leave an item as itself for as long as possible, because we're going to make more money out of it. You can move faster on it, getting it back out into the market. And it's at the highest economic value. So we make more money is the shortest point. Uh, so it doesn't sound that fun, but it's actually uh, the best uh, strategy that you can take. And we're going to explore this together uh, on our Earth Day takeover with uh, Reapley from the company who really focuses on reuse. And so I encourage you all to come in. Join us at that and explore the topic with us together. Last question. Um, what advice do you want to give to this platform of supply chain leaders watching, you know, uh, in terms of starting or, or even considering this all yours? Very simple. Go and find who in your organization is leading the circular economy work. Uh, very likely someone is. We're starting to see, again, heads of circularity, uh, circular economy being hired for the first time, different from head of sustainability uh, and go find them. They don't know that they need to come and find you. So just go and meet some folks and help to uh, really evangelize the role of supply chain and material stewardship uh, in the decisions we make, the data that they need to run the circular economy will come from us. And so the role of oper operationalization, difficult to say, but really important to have. So that's my one ask is go uh, spend 10 minutes on the internet learning about this topic and go and introduce yourself to team in your own organization who's probably already looking at this. Well, that's all the time that we have for this session. I'm sure we'd love to have you back again and talk more in detail about how we can take this further in, in the industry because you know what? Time is running out, as you keep saying, and you're <laughs> absolutely right. Uh, so thanks very much, Deborah. Those of you watching at home, we'll see you again at the next edition of the Transform TV podcast series. Thank you.